0: to the way home with laura smith the show that brings you wonderful guests helpful advice and uplifting stories the way home live inspired here's your host laura smith
1: happy new year everybody can't believe it but uh time flies when you're having fun i guess and this 2024, it is great to be with you as we head on into our fifth year of The Way Home. And uh, boy, over 200 episodes of the podcast as well. I am so excited today because we continue on with our winter reading series, which we have been doing uh for the past few weeks. And I have two completely different types of books that are being highlighted and two authors very different as well, but both equally talented and, and exciting The first one is Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss. He's an intelligence officer in the United States Marine Corps and a member of Generation Z. And why is that important? Well, it's all in the name of his book, which is We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis with Generation Z, meaning so much because right now uh, there is a crisis in this country of getting people to join the military. And this young man um, has wisdom beyond his years on why he thinks that's happening and what he feels are the solutions to it and patriotism uh being taught is one of them. So looking forward to speaking with Matthew Weiss. Also, we have something on a completely other spectrum. Our friend Fionn Fox Faraday is here with her second installment in her intergalactic uh, romance series called Mates of the Alliance. It's continuing with the latest installment called Darzik. Now, Fionn Fox Faraday is not just a writer. She's actually a pulmonary and critical care physician. But when she was laid up at home with her own uh, issues at one point, she got very bored and decided to start writing. Well, the result has been 15 installments in this incredible romp through the galaxy with these characters. And you'll have to hear her explain it to you to really get A vision of what it is, but her latest one, she says, is hot and steamy as well as a lot of fun. So, looking forward to speaking with these two authors on what is now, well, a new year beginning. And so happy to be with you. Don't forget, we have good news stories at the end with Jim Cleefield, and we want to thank Balance of Nature, fruits and veggies in a capsule, for continuing to underwrite the program that they enjoy so much, and I enjoy their product so much, and millions of people in the United States. That is fruits and veggies in a capsule. all that it is, and nothing inside the capsules, but real fruits and real vegetables. And they are pulverized and put into the capsule so that you can get 10 servings a day of the most important vegetables and fruits. How do you get it? You just order it online at balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. And when you do, make sure you put the name Laura into your promo code. That will get you 35% off, and free shipping always. When we come back, Matthew Weiss and his book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam, Examining the Military Recruiting Crisis.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, there is a crisis in our country right now, and it's something that I report on during Michiana's Morning News often. In fact, we just had a story about it the other day, um, that America is suffering from a lack of recruitment from its potential uh, soldiers for our military and into our military. And I mean, if you think about it, boy, that's it's nothing short of scary, to say the least. Uh, There is a Uh, Probably many theories and many reasons why, but instead of me speculating or reading just what we hear in the news, I have somebody who really has their finger on the pulse of why that is. Matthew Weiss is a, well, he's a lieutenant, a second lieutenant in the military. He's a Marine, and he's also an intelligence officer for the United States Marines. He's currently stationed in Australia, in the northern part of Australia there, and he has not only an amazing education, an MBA from the Wharton School at Uni- University of Pennsylvania, but also a B.S. Uh, from there as well. And he really understands what this Generation Z is all about and why they are not the ones that are flocking to recruit um, into the military. He is one himself, basically. So, uh, Matthew, thank you so much. Should I call you lieutenant? I, I don't even know what the, the right thing to do is.
2: Matthew is absolutely fine. I, I really appreciate you having me on today. I look forward to discussing this issue.
1: Yeah. it. it like I said, we just uh, reported it the other day that, that the numbers are so low and, you know, there's a lot of reasons speculating as to why. But I want to hear it from someone who absolutely knows why and you're involved. So you're seeing it from the standpoint of someone who did enlist and who did sign up and who has been in it. How long have you been a Marine?
2: I've been in only for two years, so I'm very close to the point of my own recruitment session. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons I felt the need to write, because I just recently went through the recruiting process and wanted to sort of explain on the ground level what's going on, where the DOD is missing, how we can uh, improve this process and, and encourage more people to desire to serve the country.
1: Sure. It it really, truly is what you just said, desire to serve the country. That is something that from for the last 200 years, I think we have seen um, the willingness of our young people to to be a part of that, obviously less times than others. Um, but this is the lowest since the Vietnam War. And I'm sure for very specific reasons that you're able to see and share with us. Um, so you enlisted. But and how old exactly are you?
2: I'm 25 years old.
1: You're 25. So a Gen Z person, like we've got the Generation Y and Generation, all these different generations, but the millennials, Um, my daughter's a millennial. She's like going to be 36. But so a Gen Z is someone that was born between what years in the 90s?
2: 1997 and 2012, roughly, is defined by Pew, Pew Research.
1: Okay. And so tell us why you think especially after you know we saw something i lived in new york during 911 and um it was it was almost spontaneous that that completely ignited this desire for young people to enlist because they wanted to be the, the line of defense for the country so that would never happen again and that was really the the willingness in the people that that signed up for the military at that time was really incredible to see. and But now it it seems like it's the opposite. And I'm sure there's very defined reasons as to why. So tell us um, from your perspective, from your book, by the way, I forgot to mention the name of your book, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. A really an incredible title, Examining the Military Recruitment Crisis with Generation Z. We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. Now, that's a very provocative title. Um, where does it stem from, do
2: you think? Absolutely. So yes, you're, you're absolutely right. The title is meant to be provocative. The The book itself is meant to be uh, constructive. And I offer 21 uh, uh, problems with the current crisis and 21 solutions. So it's not meant to be a destructive book. And that's why Command has been actually happy. And many people are happy to talk about this. Um, but it is a good provocative title. I think at the base level, the crisis is going to start with uh, three gaps that the army has identified. The army is suffering more than the other branches. It's the biggest branch is suffering the most, and that's identity, knowledge, and trust. So, identity is: Does Gen Z identify with the military? Can they see themselves putting on a uniform? On knowledge, with only one percent of the the country's veterans, uh, only one percent of the country is veterans now. Does Gen Z know what life in the military is actually like? Do they know the possibilities? that are there for them? Do they know what service could do, the benefits of service, et cetera, and then trust. And this is a big one that we've, we've suffered more in Gen Z than other generations is do we trust the military? Does Gen Z trust the military to take care of them, to to care of them after deployment, to care for their needs, to be a supportive community and culture. Um, we see in a lot of polling, unfortunately, while the military still ranks as the highest, valued American, highest valued and trusted American institution, much higher than Congress, it's still lower historically, right? We used to hit polling of like 80, 85% of the military with two long wars. And some doubt about that, we're hitting around like 51 to 60% uh, approval basically for the military or trust in it. And so those three things are combining and coalescing to create a very uh, challenging problem faced by recruiting Generation Z into the armed services.
1: Yeah. So I'm thinking, um, if these are young men and women in their early 20s, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, um, what a lay person who's not in the military would kind of maybe point to and think that it might have something to do with it. A, well, we just came out of this pandemic where a lot of the military was basically chastised and thrown out based on getting a vaccine or not getting a vaccine. Was that? Did that have anything to do with um, the low numbers we're seeing right now? Even though we are engaged somewhat, even if by proxy to uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, the Israel-Hamas uh, conflict. Do you, you know, are, is, is, were there a lot of people that left on Moss because of that?
2: The there definitely was a lot of tension and strain uh, in specifically because of the the pandemic and, and certain regulations and rules. Around that, I will say propensity, right? And that's what we're really dealing with. There's a lot of reasons why people join, don't join, etc. But propensity, which is the desire, the state of desire to say, "Hey, I'm even interested in the military." That zero to one decision that one makes of, like, "Hey, military service could be interesting." That's what we're I'm fighting personally against, and that is sort of the marketing, branding, the appeal of service, and that right now is even historically low at like 13 percent of the population. Um, even worse than you know usually where it's suffers like twenty percent, maybe twenty-five percent. That's a that's a big issue. Right. And so the COVID pandemic and backlash and certain uh policy decisions have hurt propensity, right? I'm not here to comment on specific policy decisions. I am here to try to boost propensity amongst um American communities, and American families. How do we get more people interested in the concept of service, interested in the ability to go into the military, the great benefits that it can offer them from all different types of communities, right? Every community in America benefits from the stated good of national defense. So theoretically, every community should have some members of their community considering serving or or providing that stated good, basically.
1: When my dad signed up, um, he's passed now for a year, but when he signed up for the Air Force, there were two... Uh, driving factors for him. He was going to get, you know, his college, the GI Bill was really important because he didn't have money to go to college and he absolutely wanted to go to college. And then also just the whole service to your country, the American pride thing was just, we're talking back in 1955. So, you know, this was a time when that was seen as, as really the highest sense of purpose, perhaps. Um And, and it was, pretty much universal in the country there you know in 1955 it wasn't like in Vietnam where people were disillusioned with the reasons that they were being sent to war in the draft and things like that it was more you know there was this eagerness to be part of something that was universally important which was being an American and fighting for the values of, of the country so that's what I saw then what I what I feel like what a lot of us who aren't involved in military but we certainly have a lot of people who have military members in their families currently um is that we're told that there's this a lot of the ideology they're they're calling it woke ideology um we were seeing recruitment videos just this year on TV I saw them you know talking about you know how transgenderism is a is you know, very welcome and, you know, using the right pronouns in the military is really important. And, and I think a lot of us were kind of aghast that this was the focus being that we were, you know, giving all this money to Ukraine to help, you know, with the situation, you know, in Russia. So for a lot of people, they thought, Oh my goodness, this is not the military. My grandfather and my father. Our mother, you know, signed up for what is from being on the inside. How real was that?
2: Yeah, and, and so again, it goes. It's an absolutely uh, important point. It goes with perception. Uh, chapter fifteen of the book specifically talks, or chapter fourteen of the book specifically talks about uh, politics. Right, this is the elephant in the room. The military has always been a political workplace. It has to be. Right? We serve the Constitution. We don't serve a political party. Uh, and it has to remain an apolitical workplace. And unfortunately, both parties on both sides of the aisle, um, in their own various ways, have tried to politicize the military recently. You see that in congressional hearings. You see that in certain initiatives that are uh, maybe extreme compared to what the moderate center of America on either part of that would would. Uh, would believe. And I think that that really gets away from the core of the military is a lethal fighting force to destroy our enemies and defend the Constitution. Full stop. That's the only reason we exist. Should not be any other reason. It offers amazing social mobility and great benefits to the members that serve in it. And we should pull from all different types of diverse backgrounds, every community, like I said, but we cannot alienate the majority of people serving in the military and spend too much of a focus on sort of a very small minority fringe effort. Essentially, you should support those people in their own way and right. But if that becomes the talking point, if that becomes the center marketing message, that is a massive, massive issue because you're going to turn away a lot of people who historically have made up the core cadre of people in the military and say, this is, like you said, not the military I signed up for. What are you guys doing? right? And so I think we have to refrain from any um, specific, I, I want to say social engineering, again, on both sides uh, in the military and refrain very uh, carefully from politicizing our armed forces. Our armed forces, uh, when I say in the book, we are the greatest physical social network. The connections that you can make in the military between each other from every single place, every single background, I see with my Marines here, 10,000 miles away, right? Um, are, are, are astonishing. That's the message that we should be selling to the American people uh, and to a Generation Z youth that is struggling for mental health issues, that is lonelier than ever, come to the military for the world's greatest physical social network, for purpose, for meaning, for skills, for a job, for growth. And then hopefully the contract with this society, and this is very open, should be if you do give your time, if you do choose to serve, you are in some way rewarded on the back end, whether that's via hiring, whether that's via whatever connections, whether that's frankly just via pride, right? We should go back to supporting our veterans and saying, hey, you served, we are proud of you, we support you. You know, that is a thing that you gave to provide us the life that we have in a free nation of the United States.
1: Absolutely. And that, and, and yes, that's what people are, you know, hoping that it is. But when, you know, there are situations you see where veterans are giving less accommodations than perhaps illegal immigrants that are coming into the country right now en masse. And, you know, there was a story that we did on the news the other day about this veteran who was kicked out of his nursing home at 94 and uh, it, because the nursing home was being replaced as a an immigrant center, um, you know, for these migrants. And so what do you tell people at your age that is enlisted? Do you feel do you feel, Matt Weiss, that you are being um you will be properly taken care of. I think people thought that the vet, you know, the vets were, you, you enlist, you'd go through all of this, you give your life and your commitment, and then you will be taken care of at the end. Is there, um, is, do people agree with that? Is that really happening? Is that a reality? Or do you see that changing?
2: I, I do. I still think overall, again, I'm very optimistic. And that's one of the reasons I'm pushing the constant service to so many people and sort of recommending it. I do I mean there, there are obviously there's the one you mentioned very unfortunate stories and specific situations that are disheartening and there are things that happen that are disheartening uh but as, as, again the growth and the future of the military is still strong I believe and, and we will have uh you know young people still signing up and I think we just need to encourage that more right we uh, us that are in do see those those benefits do realize those benefits and and frankly have all grown from the experience I'll give you an anecdote but you know, I've talked to thousands of service members, Gen Z service members now, as I was writing the book and coming up with these ideas. I asked one question, and almost 99%, almost 100% have said, and I asked, would you do this experience again? Knowing everything, the hard, the struggle, everything, would you do this again? And almost all of them said yes. And that alone in my head you know, it totally validates the value of going through this very challenging, very unique time period of life. Um, I will be able to say on, on my deathbed one day, hopefully in a long time, say, I'm happy that I put on the uniform and I did this. And I think if we can push that message to more young people today who are struggling for purpose, who are trying to find the next way in life, um, this 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 will hopefully be ameliorated. I don't think we're going to solve the recruiting crisis tomorrow. Just, again, 21 chapters, 21 solutions and problems, right? Um, but we can all work on the, the peripheries and, and try to make an impact on them.
1: My guest is Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss, who is an intelligence officer in the United States Marine Corps, uh, 25 years old, absolutely uh, brilliant and has written this book that, as he said, it's it's to be constructive, not destructive. And it sounds like you've truly, really mapped out a wonderful uh, way for people to understand, you know, ways in which that it can be helped. That, people are going to turn to the military and want to be desirous of joining and and also the problems as well you see it firsthand and you're very honest about it the book is we don't want you uncle sam examining the military recruitment crisis with generation z um i had uh, you you mentioned somewhere that you know one of the things that that most people think of they think that conservatives are are generally more attracted to getting into the armed services um, over, say, progressives. And the problem with the Gen Z is that they're young. They were raised on social media. We don't know how much actual history they got in school as compared to kind of my generation and my parents' generation. Um, You talk about that. Is that still a factor, do you think? Is it still sort of a you know, people who are conservative, who have uh, faith in God, and like, are they more drawn to the military than the average 25, 26, 22-year-old?
2: So I'm very much a a polls and numbers person. So I think we have to be able to have these difficult conversations and use polls and numbers and have the truth. And it is true the military leans, usually when you look at polling conservative, the people that are actually in it. And it's also true that if you look at the Gen Z cohort, a majority leans more progressive or liberal than than other generations um or other age groups in the US so so those are two facts right we, uh, put that out there people are like oh that's offensive or whatever no we need to be okay in the US with with talking about facts i think in the military though there's still extreme diversity of thought there's people like i said from all backgrounds and have all political leanings and we should continue that it should never be obviously one group or like minded people uh joining the military right i think Again, the answer for political thinking in the military, and this is what I call for, is we should be allowed to have the policy discussions like this. We should be able to comment on, just as any citizen, on policy. We should not be able to politically cheerlead, meaning I shouldn't be supportive of one candidate or another or one party or another. Even if I strongly feel that way and I vote privately in a certain way, That that's never safe and that's not good. We exist, again, politically not to be controlled or hamstrung by one party or the other. But we should be able to have policy discussions and we should be able to say and show the American populace like you're not just some automaton in the military. My Marines and I, we can sit down. We can discuss current events. We can say, hey, we disagree with X, Y, and Z. That doesn't mean we ever disobey the chain of command or the following of orders. But we can say, hey, you know, the COVID policy, for example, did this, this, and this. Or I I love the COVID policy. And we can have that constructive uh, debate, frankly, in the military, maybe one of the last places in American society where that constructive debate can go on. Because we're all, in the end of the day, trust each other and we're aligned in a mission. Um, but that's that's obviously a different point. The point is, we should be allowed to have that discussion and that and that and have those talks and policy discussions like that.
1: And do those types of conversations happen in the military what? amongst the younger generation Z? Are you able? Do you feel comfortable voicing your opinion, or do you feel like there is a more more of a concerted effort on the, on the part of the whatever administration is in current power, to, so to speak, um, making people a little less free to do that? or do you truly feel that there is a freedom to have these constructive conversations within the military?
2: definitely feel that we are able to have the conversations and we want our message to our peers in Gen Z is that you can still have these opinions, views, and conversations in the military. So absolutely 100% feel supported. Um, You know, we we believe in our chain of command, right? We believe in our leaders uh, and we, 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 we believe people are working towards, again, creating a stronger, more lethal force in the end. There's, there's some political side stops that happen, mainly in DC and other places, but, um, we know that we're working towards a, a good mission and we feel aligned. And you know, the people that I have here, the Marines, again from all different parts of the country, very different backgrounds, people I would have never met, you know, in my normal course of life, uh have all really come together on a mission, which is exciting.
1: Well, it is exciting. I ha I was with a veteran last night and he said that for the first time, you know, since he was um he was in the service, he said that There's a lot of legacy families where military goes back four generations. And this is the first time that the generation within that family is, is, has not signed up for the military. You still believe that there are ways to fix that. And I, I remember in school, there were different uh, service, young service people like yourself would visit the school and was part of a recruitment, um, program where they would come in and talk about what life was like, you know, in the army or the Marines or the air force. And uh, it was something that, you know, people really, there was, they were whole programs that the whole school would have to go and, and listen. Um, do, do they still do that, that type of uh, programming within the the schools and such so that people can see young guys like yourself, super cool, super smart with all the facts, because you're on the inside and you're speaking from reality and from your experience do the, do young people still have a chance to see uh, military members come to their schools in places where maybe they wouldn't normally if they didn't have it within their family?
2: Certain, uh, certain schools do and certain schools don't. I absolutely think that we need to encourage that. I think it's ridiculous if you're a public school in the United States that you should ever not uh, who's benefiting, again, from the public good of national security and not allow recruiters into a school. So that alone, talk about policy and cultural shift that that has to happen, and it does in most places. Some places it doesn't, and I think, again, that is ridiculous, but it does happen in most places. Recruiters have a very hard job. They're working very hard. I respect them. One of my Marines is about to be – actually, two of my Marines are about to become recruiters uh, in a couple months here. Um, I think as an institution and as a country, we have to work in other ways as well, not just via the recruitment path, but um, you know, via the formal recruiting path, but that, that is a goal going forward, absolutely.
1: Well, you're doing that in your own way, writing this book that is so comprehensive and again, solution oriented, um, which does give me great hope that there are young people your age, Generation Z, that, um, have a, a vision of it from the perspective of being on the inside, but also seeing the problems, the potential issues with it, and then also offering solutions. I think you give really great credence to why. Uh, it makes sense for young people to choose this path. Um, You know, you are a shining light for sure and um just in- incredibly, incredibly bright. and And I think you are a great role model. I hope they see that in you. And I hope they're encouraging people to read your book, because I think this is an eye opener for many of us. And we may not have known it was there. So I really want to encourage people, pick this up. We don't want you, Uncle Sam examining the military recruitment crisis with generation Z the author is second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss who's an intelligence officer in the United States Marine Corps and really s- such an example I think of when when somebody has the right mindset of it just makes you feel wow it really makes you feel like th- if this is what we're getting in our military then we are in really good hands. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for your service. Thank you for getting up because I know that right now you're in Australia. It's awfully early in the morning and here you are. You said you started uh, doing uh, different uh, talks at 4 30 a.m. So wow, are you uh, really something else? Thank you so much, Matthew, and God bless you. And come home for Christmas and I wish you all the very best. And may this book be on everyone's Uh, wish list and coffee table and to to certainly be in the hands of of young people so they can see what the truth is about this we don't want you uncle sam examining the military recruiting crisis with generation z available wherever fine books are sold and amazon thank you so much matt
2: thank you so much ma'am i really appreciate that i apologize again for being late in the beginning but i really had a great conversation so thank you
1: you were not late you were right on time you're serving our country and we thank you All right.
2: Thank you. God
1: bless America. And we are The Way Home with Laura Smith. I'm Laura. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura.
1: Well, about a year ago, should I say, oh no, not even. I was going to say a year ago this summer, but actually it was this summer. Um so about a half a year ago, um I had a new series that I introduced to the program just called Summer Reading Series. And uh I was able to bring forth a whole bunch of different art uh, authors from with different genres of books and one of them that was uh, truly stood out to me in terms of just being such a fun, fun conversation and the book uh sounding so delicious was from a lady by the <laughs> name of Fionn Fox Faraday. And I say that in that way because she's got an incredible backstory to her book. She's actually an ICU nurse and someone who's in the pulmonary uh healing business as a doctor full time. But she found herself not only in a pandemic before it also uh, alleviating stress by writing um, when she was on home leave for uh, something medical that she was going through herself. But then when the pandemic came, she found herself writing more and more. So Fionn started writing and much to her surprise, she kept writing and all of a sudden a series was born called Mates of the Alliance. It is a mixture of romance with Intergalactic sci-fi and with a whole dose of reality because of, uh, the background of her, her medical foundation. And you put all of it together and you get what is a second installment in the Mates of Alliance with Darzik, Mates of Alliance. It's after Karen, which was in the summer. I have never heard a story like yours and how you started writing and how all of a sudden it has taken off to such an extent. And yet. You're still at the hospital, right? Yeah, I'm
3: still uh, working. And uh, writing is how I uh, cope with stress. So any kind of unhappiness or uh, pressure, I just kind of channel into writing. I know it's a good way to turn maybe something negative into something positive. And it's fun. And these characters, uh, I've lived in this world for about three years now, and they have become very dear friends and uh, they have developed very distinct personalities and they're a lot of fun to write. And then, you know, they get a little grumpy if I don't write, they'll be like, you've kind of ignored us. And it's been a couple of, <laughs> and when are you going to, you know, come back and let us know what the next little turn of the page and chapter is going to be. Cause we've been waiting, not very patiently.
1: Authors often comment to me how the characters in their books, even if they are fictional, take on a life of their own and almost become real to the one writing them. I guess they would have to be in order for a book to be truly exciting and interesting and to grab your attention. There has to be a sense that these characters and these people are actually real. And, um, so obviously yours, um, luring you back to the, you know, the writing table all the time is, um, proof that they need to get out and you're, you're finding a great joy in writing them. Um, I guess it's not something that you set out to do, obviously, um, when you said, let me write to just express myself or, you know, get some stress off my chest. Uh, were you a writer as a young girl?
3: I kind of was. I wrote some very um, dramatic and probably rather cheesy poetry.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. as we, I think we probably all did to some extent, but it sounds like, you know, you're getting reviewed. Now, with your your mates of of the Alliance series, and you're getting good reviews. They're liking them. These online, you know, uh, people who sit and grade books all the time. And when I say grade, they read them and they they like to uh, give you a certain amount of stars or not. You're getting uh, really good feedback, and people are loving the the books and the characters.
3: Well, it's a definitely a incredible honor that people enjoy reading about these characters because they really do be they, they do seem very real you know and they're they've, they're sort of become part of my family and i actually met somebody on instagram because of the book because of the book she said it sounded really interesting and she's become a very dear friend over the past oh nine months or so and she'll be like so what's going on with so-and-so characters like you know i'll give her a little snippet she's like when are you going to release it so i can read it
1: Exactly. Well, I'm sure that's the way it is. So it, let's give uh, the audience a, a grasp of the series and what the premise is underneath it, it being that it is sci-fi, but it's also romance. Um, the Mates of the Alliance. So are are these uh, intergalactical beings with humans that end up relating to each other and dancing in a relationship type of thing?
3: Yes. Basically, it's the premise is that Earth is attacked by a race of hostile aliens who are intent on harvesting the ocean. And the uh, our, our heroes are dispatched to to uh, repel the attack. And it, that is their job. They are like the protectorate arm of a galactic alliance. And when they are done uh, sending the hostile aliens in full retreat, they realize they can't leave the Earth because we're in such dire streets that we would not survive without their help. So they end up being posted to our planet and in the process of rehab, some of their officers meet and fall in love with uh, some humans, initially uh, uh, people at the hospital, because that's their first contact. And basically, it's a it's a kind of like a comparison, because they're very, very different. And when they first see each other, or especially when the human uh, characters first see these aliens, all they see is they're about seven and a half feet tall. They've got fangs. They've got claws. They've got fur. And they look very, they're very military looking. They're very... Uh, muscular, they're very intimidating. They look like gladiators, and as th- as they get to know them, all they see they don't see their appearance anymore. They just see their mate. So it's about looking under the superficial differences and finding out how much they really have in common.
1: That and, sounds like a, 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 a sort of a space age uh, Beauty and the Beast kind of thing. Kind
3: of, sort of. And uh, what's interesting is that as the characters go on, uh, book two is about the. The first two characters in book one, it's about their best friends. And the female character was the victim of a um, date, not date rape, but basically she was drugged and assaulted. So it's about how she survives and she reclaims her life and decides that she is not going to be, she's not going to be a victim anymore. And that um, she has control of her life and she wants to have a full life and find love, find family and, and, her partner has been patiently waiting for her. And what he doesn't know it, know is that she's done waiting and he's been waiting in the wings. He's devoted. He's committed. He's faithful and he's completely utterly hers. And he's not about to know what's going to hit him because she's decided that she knows what she wants and what she needs and that she's not going to let, you know, what she's been through in the past control her future mm-hmm. and that's her life. And she's going to take it back.
1: And then she meets Darzik.
3: Yes. 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 And he's yeah, he's been watching her and she's she knows that she's really attracted to him, but she's so afraid. And then she finally takes that leap of faith.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, in in terms of your background, obviously, you're in the medical profession on a daily basis, very high pressure ICU work and pulmonary um, focus. But you also um, include whatever is your fascination with and experience with the military, and where does that play into your your background and and why you would write about that in in your books?
3: Well, um, I, most of my a lot of my family have been military. My dad was in the army. My brother was in the Air Force. Um, my kids were in the Coast Guard. My husband was in the Army, and you know without. Our military, we wouldn't be leading the lives that we do. It's because of them that we have the freedoms that we enjoy. And mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, dedicate this in part to them. And it's a it's kind of like a an a, 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 a written thank you for all they do, and also for the healthcare workers for the same thing because a lot of times we take them for granted because they're there. And some, it's, especially with the military, sometimes we don't see it because they're posted overseas or we're someplace where there aren't any bases. But They are what enables us to lead the life of freedoms that we do.
1: Absolutely. I was just going to remind people that I'm speaking with Fionn Fox Faraday. She's a writer. She's, as I mentioned, she works in the medical profession, but she's been writing on the side and these books are taking on a life of their own. And now she's in a second in a series. The first one was called Cairn, also about an alien and human interaction and love story that comes to life. And now the second one, which is, um, character Darzik, it's, uh, it's said it's a slow and sensual follow up to the steamy kickoff that's found in the first one. So it, this continues throughout it. And a lot of people that review your books are saying the same thing. Very steamy, very romantic, very, uh, r- real in that context. Um, it, it, is that fun to, to write it, literature it, like it, this? It's a lot of fun. Um, They completely
3: immerse themselves in each other. And uh, the aliens actually don't have much in the way of physical experience at all. Their lives have been devoted to protection. They're battle-hardened warriors of a generation's long war at this point. And in their mates, they find the hope, the acceptance, the peace, the joy, and the pure love they never knew really could be theirs or even existed. So because of that, they completely treasure their mates. And they completely immerse themselves in it. And it's interesting because the, on the human side of it, they find safety, which maybe isn't the most exciting word or concept. But to them, the safety m- means the trust and the freedom to completely commit themselves to the bond that's being to resonate between them and their mates. Mm-hmm. And it's a thing of, because yes, it's, there's a lot of physical intimacy. And it's very, but it's very powerful because it's always... In the context of emotion, it's not just done because they're consu- they are consumed by attraction and because it is very uh, irresistible. But it's be- it, it, it's a manifestation of their emotions.
1: And so, there's also it, apparently a lot of wordplay as well. You enjoy the language um, when you write. You enjoy expressing language, and so it's it's. Um, it's probably, you know, it's, it's got a little bit more depth to it than just your typical dime store, you know, romance novel. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot more depth to it than that. Um, I've talked to you now. This is the second time and I enjoy it because I do love your use of, of words and what, what a great, um, feeling it must be to have this full-time job in the medical profession, but be able to escape through your books and now, but have them be actually taken seriously in the, Literary realm and uh, and actually be seen as a writer that must be fun for you. To, when you go to work, um, does everybody know about your your other side of your life?
3: Um, to some degree, they do. Some of my friends who are IC nurses know, and um, all of the people in my office definitely know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun, and they, there's a little teasing involved. But I think it's a great way to for them to release stress and they get really tickled because a lot of the characters, especially book two, because uh, she's an ICU nurse, a charge nurse actually is there. She's a composite of a lot of my friends, a lot of their uh, character traits. And some of the things they say are exactly what comes out in the book. Cause that's what some of the ICU people will say.
1: Uh-huh. So, and I like that too, when there's expertise in it, even though it's a novel, there's expertise so that, you you feel like you're kind of learning something, uh, as you go. You know, in addition to just escaping and having a a great you know romp through a good book, um, you've got detail there, like you said, of the military, of the medical profession that really lends credence, uh, to the backdrop of it because of your true involvement in in both of those realms. Uh, so Fionn Fox Faraday, this is the second. The first one, Cairn, mates of the alliance. This one, Darzik, mates of the alliance. How many more Mates of the Alliance are we going to be seeing from you?
3: Uh, As long as they keep telling their stories, I'm going to keep on writing. I'm actually sort of stuck, actually, on the current book because I uh, and the main characters kind of been uh, knocking on the window, so to speak, of my mind going, you've not written in about a month. Have you forgotten about me? But yeah, so he's book 10. He was supposed to be book five. And I got sidetracked by other characters that just demanded to tell their story. Because it was just I couldn't resist because their story was so compelling, and he's like, you know, I you're late with me anyway, and now you're now you're putting me back further, so I need a little attention. That's what he's saying.
1: So you mean to tell me there's almost ten books in the series so far, and we're only on uh, book two in terms of talking about it and it, and it being published?
3: Yes, yeah, so I'm. I've only published two, but the rest of them are done. They're just kind of sitting. Uh, in uh, cyberspace on, on my Kindle.
1: <laughs> well, I yeah. just love it. I love the story behind the story. And the story sounds so fabulous and fun. You know, in the winter, it's fun to cozy up with a book in front of the fire or in our best, uh, warmest slippers and blanket and (laughs) and truly, uh, you know, get lost in a good book. And right now is one of those times in history where I think a little escape could do us all a bit of good. Uh, Fionn Fox Faraday, where can your books be purchased and found? Uh, Mainly Amazon, also on Barnes & Noble.
3: And they're available both in Kindle and in paperback form. Now, if people like animals, uh, they will like this because in my world, animals are sentient and they can communicate. And some of my favorite characters are some of the animal characters that have kind of just, you know, written their own story. Uh, for people who want like a kind of like a common point, if they like Ruby Dixon, uh, Ice Planet Barbarians, if they like Shape of Water, if they like Beauty and the Beast, and if they like Um, avatar they'll probably get a kick out of the mates of the alliance there's a lot of humor Uh, picture aliens who have translators and are extremely concrete and pair that with our use of slang
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah
1: it sounds like a lot of fun Fionn, Fox, Faraday, everyone, look her up. Mates of the Alliance is the series. You're going to have 10 of them at your disposal eventually. But right now, Darzik is out and ready to be read and purchased and all the rest of it. Thank you so much for joining us today on the way home. I really love having you on.
3: Thank you so much, Laura. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And this has been so much fun. Thank you for making it so easy and spontaneous and natural. I really appreciate it.
1: I just uh, likewise, right back at you. Thank you so much, Fionn Fox Fair Day, Darzik, Mates of the Alliance, and Karen, Mates of the Alliance. Go find it now and uh, read all winter long. I'm Laura Smith. This is The Way Home. We'll be right back.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, as we head on into a brand new
1: year, I can think of no better way to do it than by sharing some uplifting good news that our good friend Jim Cleefield has gone out into the World Wide Web to find for us. Jimmy, Happy New Year.
0: You too. What do you have for us? Well, we talk about New Year's and holiday travel, and let's face it, you hear the phrase, getting there is half the fun, right? Well, that may not necessarily apply to flying in this case, LJ, because uh, actually it's very, very stressful. We've all been there, right? You know, getting your tickets and checking in, etc. Well, something very unique happened at Portland International Airport over the holidays. There were two four-legged friends to help ease the stress and anxiety for travelers. What if I told you these were two 400-pound therapy llamas? You don't hear about that or see that very often when I love the airport, right? Their names are Prince and Benny. Now, they didn't get there just by randomly being there. This was by design. Shannon Joy, she runs... a place called Mountain Peaks, Llamas, and Alpacas. Now, an alpaca is a smaller version of a llama, by the way, those of you who may not know about it. Anyway, they were there to help ease the stress and anxiety to travelers, and just so unique. Shannon says that as they were roaming through the halls of the airport, it was an opportunity for those travelers. They can pet them. They can take selfies with them. They can even hug them, as a matter of fact. Now, as somebody who loves animals, I mean, this is just wonderful. And the reason she decided to do this, because the fact is that it's just such a very difficult time. And to see these animals, it just helps calm these passengers down. They're afraid, nerds, because they're dealing with the whole process of going through the whole check-in and going onto the airline. It's just an opportunity to just really just see these 400-pound animals and just smile and just say, ah, this is really, really nice. It's just wonderful to see these two. Prince and Betty, these two llamas.
1: Wow. Who would have thought that? An alpaca or a llama being a support animal and having it there in the airport. Boy, I I think I would have not have believed my eyes um, or something to the effect. But that's interesting. Okay. Um, and any any other good stories for us?
0: Yes, as a matter of fact, uh, two ladies. Let's go back six years ago, shall we, uh, in Seminole, Florida. Uh, Barbara Rotunda and uh, Jean McDonald uh, were doing something very nice for some seniors in nursing homes who needed a little bit of a pick-me-up for the holiday season, surprising them with Christmas gifts at one of the local nursing homes. Well, it was so successful... They continue to do this for about six more years. And recently, they served as many as 400 seniors in total of five nursing homes in the Seminole, Florida area. Area So much so, it has grown exponentially that they started a nonprofit. It's called Residence Hope. Residence Hope uh, is a nonprofit organization that helps seniors, those in need at this time of year, and surprise them not only with holiday gifts, but whatever else, just to just to really just bring some joy and comfort and community, a sense of that to them. And if you want to learn more about this, it's called Hope.org. You can make a donation, learn more about it. You can find that online. I think it's a great thing that they're doing, and I hope that continues to succeed.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, everyone needs to feel that they're not forgotten for sure, and uh, that sounds like a a great new organization. Well, I just want to say to everybody, thank you, first of all, Jim, for the great stories and Bob for producing this program week after week. Year after year. It's going to be hard work today, I tell you. <laughs> hard work. Well, listen, I do just pray to for you guys and for everyone listening that this is truly one of your best years ever to date and um, that it brings you all of the, the joy, the comfort, good health, prosperity, success, peace, peace kindness, warmth, all the things that your heart could ever desire. I wish that for you and yours and your loved ones. All from the way home, I'm Laura Smith. Happy New Year.